speaking us today to the truth of your word. Um, Lord, today we're going to be uncomfortable. But God, I pray that you would use that in our life to draw us closer to you. God, to burn within us a passion to tell others and share with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 7, if you would please. Genesis chapter 7, we're going to continue talking about the story of Noah, and and I do believe today is a a little bit of an uncomfortable uh, message, uh, because in it you find a little bit different approach than maybe what you've been told if you grew up in the church and you were kind of a part of vacation Bible school and Sunday school and those types of things. We we teach the story of, of Noah, and it's sort of this, this good, happy story about a guy who built a boat and um, you know made it through the 40 days and the 40 nights of the rain coming down and the floods coming up. And, and so it's sort of this, that, that's how we've approached the story of Noah. And I think in a lot of ways, because we've approached it um, in that context, we've, we've sort of ruined the story somewhat for, for some of us. Um, and so it kind of, uh, it requires us to take a little bit different approach in looking at Scripture and, and maybe, maybe even a little bit of using our imagination because if you really approach the, Noah, the story of Noah, um, maybe as if you've never read the Bible before or maybe as if you've never heard the story of Noah before, then, then it would kind of be a little bit different for you. Like if you started reading your Bible for the first time, and you started in Genesis chapter 1, and then you got to Genesis chapter 6. That's not a long period of time, and you probably got a, lot, a little confused in Genesis chapter 5 where you start listing all the descendants. But you come to Genesis chapter 6, and there's some, some really hard truths that come calling out to you in the midst of that. And those really hard truths, um, honestly, are, are easier for us to kind of gloss over than they are for us to kind of look at and deal with in our life. And today I want to I wanna talk to you about the judgment and grace of God. The judgment and grace of God. You see, we, we don't talk about judgment a lot. We don't talk about um, God's um, righteousness and in his righteousness, him pouring out judgment against unrighteousness and against wickedness. We sort of skim over that part, and we just want to say God loves you, and he cares for you, and he wants what's best for you in your life, and that's sort of how we approach our relationship with God sometimes, and the reality of it is that, that he does love you, and he does care for you, and eh, he, he, I don't know that he wants what's best for you in your life. He wants what's going to bring him the most glory in your life, we can fight about that a little bit if you want to, but the reality of it is we, we sort of, we, we don't approach God and we don't talk about the truth of his judgment. And today we're going to talk about the truth of his judgment. And my prayer is that it makes all of us a little uncomfortable as we approach scripture. So Genesis chapter 7 is where we'll find ourselves uh, beginning, and we're going to uh, go to a couple of places in the New Testament as well, so bear with me as we sort of flip through, and if, if you don't make it to one of the, the, the other passages of Scripture, don't worry, I will read it, and you'll be able to, uh, to get the context of it, so don't, don't be, feel left out in the midst of that. So Genesis chapter 7 verse 1 says this, Then the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. So let's back up a little bit, talk, talk about the context. Because Genesis chapter 6 um, is this piece of God sees what's happening in the world. He sees the unrighteousness. He sees the wickedness, but he extends grace to Noah and his family. And he tells Noah and his family in Genesis chapter 6, tells Noah, he says, I need you to build an ark because I'm going to wipe out everything in the world. But if you're in the ark, so to speak, my paraphrase, you'll, you'll find yourself safe in the midst of this. So he begins the task of building an ark, this crazy thing, as we talked about last week, this crazy thing that he was asked to do. He builds the ark. 
And it takes him a uh, hundred and something years to build the ark. That's a long time, right? Yes? You with me? That's a long time. So for a hundred years, there's this guy and his family, and who knows, anybody else helped them or not, but the reality of it is they're building this massive boat. And it's not meant, by the way, to sail the seven seas. It's not it. I mean, the boat is meant to float on the water. He's, he's not building to have any control about where he goes and where he's going to wind up. He's not trying to sail to another part of the world. It's just meant to float. And he built the ark. And when he finished, after a hundred and some years, he finishes, and God says, now get in the boat. And that's Genesis chapter 7. Get in the boat. He says, you shall take with you of every clean animal by sevens, a male and his female, and of all the animals that are not clean, two, a male and his female. Also of the birds of the sky by sevens, male and female, to keep offspring alive in the face of all the earth. For after seven more days, as if that's not long enough, a hundred years making the boat, now get in the boat and wait seven, seven more days. For after seven more days, I will send rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights, and I will blot out from the face of the land every living thing that I have made. I just want you to think about that for a minute. Think about that truth, what that verse said. For in seven more days. I'm going to send the rain and I will blot out everything I have made. Just let that soak in. I think that's a really big deal and I think it's one of those pieces we sort of gloss over. I will blot out everything. Verse 5 says, Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded. Noah, now Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came upon the earth. Then Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him entered the ark because of the water of the flood. Of clean animals and animals that are not clean and birds and everything that creeps on the ground, There went into the ark to Noah by twos, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. It came about after the seven days that the water of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, it's pretty specific, by the way, On the same day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open and the floodgates of the sky were opened. The rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. The first thing we want to talk about this morning is the patience of God in judgment. The patience of God before judgment. And, you know, in conversations with people, you have some who approach God and they're frustrated of, how could God do this? Has anybody ever been faced with that kind of question by somebody before? How could God do this? Or how could God allow this? Or, you know, those questions come so often. And one of the pieces of that is they begin to question somewhat of the patience of God. They don't think that God is even a patient God. But I think what you will discover in the midst of this is that God is an incredibly patient God. He is incredibly patient. And Scripture tells us in 2 Peter that he is patient with us, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And the patience of God is seen just in this one story that paints the picture of the gospel for us. The patience of God is seen, first of all, in the lifespan of mankind. The patience of God is seen in the lifespan of mankind. If you back up, Last week we took a running start from Genesis chapter 5, and you remember some of the the lengths of time that people lived. 
right? You remember that? You're tracking with me? Okay, like Enoch lived a long time, 300, he walked with God 300 years, and then he was no more, okay? Um, he had uh, Methuselah and Lamech. These guys were living seven, eight, nine hundred years, a long time. Noah, he was 500 years old when God showed up and told him to build the ark, right? 500 years old. He had sons at beginning at like 500 years old. That's a, that's, a, that's a long time. And what you see is that you see the patience of God in the lifespan of mankind during this period of time. Because what you really begin to see is that God was patient, right? I mean, seven, eight, nine hundred years. And guess what the reality of it is for mankind? Is it doesn't matter how old they live to be, they never turn to God. It's like in God's patience and, and, and long-suffering, it was one of those things where it was 100 years old and they didn't turn to God. It was 200 years old, they didn't turn to God. It was 300 years old and they didn't turn to God. In fact, um, just because for fun, let me just remind you of this, Enoch, okay, he lived, chapter 5, verse 21, 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Now, he lived 65 years and became a father. How many of you are, are less than 65 years old. Let's do it that way. I'm going to get in trouble sometimes. So less than 65 years old, you got your hand up. So um, Enoch was 65 years old when he became the father of Methuselah. Then it says that Enoch walked with God. He was 65 before he started walking with God. Who knows what those 65 years look like? Right? And so what you find is that that wasn't very typical. That was not typical at all of what was going on in the world, that he had, a, he had a son and then started to walk with God. What really was happening is in God's patience, these people were living a really long time, but they never turned to God. They never turned to God, but he was a patient God. The fact that 1,656 years passed in time before the flood came. That's a long-suffering and patient God. The patience of God is also seen in the length of time that it took to build an ark. In the length of time it took to build an ark. Now, some people are going to say it's 100 years. Some people are going to say it's 120 years. That's why I will say that it's around 100 years. But the reality of it is this, okay? In that period of time, you see the patience of God. How many of you in this room are under 100 years old? Raise your hand. Audience participation. There you go. Okay, so in that length of time, the ark was built. A hundred years passed and the ark was built. Guess what? Generations are born and they're watching this crazy guy build the ark. Right? I mean, a hundred years are passing in the patience of God. Scripture tells us in the New Testament, Peter, one of the followers of Jesus Christ, he writes and he talks about how Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And as a preacher of righteousness, he would proclaim the truth of God as they were building the ark. And in that, you see that God is a patient God. You see that God is so patient. And again, Peter himself, he's the one that wrote that. He's the one that said that God is a patient God, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. You see the patience of God in this scripture through the last seven days. I want you to imagine what those last seven days were like. Because that is, to me, it it would be pretty mind-blowing if you really think about it. So they come to this place where the ark was finished. Now, we don't have any idea how long, you know, the ark had been completed. Was it like one day? It was like all of a sudden it was like, okay, uh, the ark was finished. It was covered with pitch inside and out. And it's like the day after that, did God say, okay, get in the ark? Or was it like Noah's hanging out and he's going, okay, God, you know, I'm kind of finished now. So what do you want me to do? But there came a point in time where God said, get in the ark. And then it says, I mean, twice in this, in this passage that we just read, it says two different times that basically they waited for seven more days. Seven more days. Imagine what that was like being Noah in the ark. I mean, he's in there with his wife, right? <laughs> hey, hon, um, nothing's happening you know, I, I believe you know, but nothing's happening. We're in the ark. Imagine being in there with your, your sons and their wives. Hey, Dad, um, nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. And then all of a sudden, it's like the, the animals start showing up. It's like 
this is pretty crazy. It's like two of, of every kind of unclean, seven of every kind of clean, and it's like they start coming on the ark. I mean, this is like a crazy, messed up story, so to speak. But that last seven days is demonstrating the patience of God. Again, get on the ark and wait. Get on the ark and wait. Build the ark and wait. Get on the ark and wait. The patience of God is seen in this. Um, Number four is the patience of God reveals the heart of God. I've already quoted for you um, 2 Peter chapter 3. The patience of God reveals the heart of God in that it it is that God is not... um, um, let me just turn there because I'm not going to quote it right. I'm not going to quote the first part. So, 2 Peter chapter 3. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness. See, some people think God's slow, right? They want God to have, and some of us want it to happen quickly. Other times it's like it happened too quickly. And it's like, no, you don't get it. It says he's not slow as some count slowness, but is patient. He's patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And and you see in the patience of God, in this this long-suffering peace in Genesis chapter 6, 7, that that 1,656 years, that 100 years that the ark was built, those last seven days, you're you're getting a glimpse of the heart of God. We talked last week about the reality, the truth, that it grieved the heart of God to respond this way. I am sorry that I have made mankind. He's going to wipe them out. He's going to blot them out. He's going to kill them all. But he says, I'm I'm grieved over this. And you see the heart of God in that. That 1,600 years and 100 years and seven days, he continues to wait for us to respond. The last part, number five, about the patience of God is there comes a point where the patience of God runs out. There comes a point where the patience of God runs out. Some of you, you don't know God, you don't have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ, there comes a point where the patience of God runs out on that. You may have sat under some of the greatest pastors or preachers. You may have had some of the best friends who love Jesus and they constantly are telling you about him. You may have had some of the best books. You've got Bibles everywhere that you turn, in our country at least, and the patience of God is going to run out. He's not going to wait forever for you to make that decision to come to faith in Christ. It does run out. There came a point where the rain started. And in the midst of that rain starting, by the way, becomes the second point of what we're talking about today, is you begin to see the horrific reality of God's judgment. You see, God's been patient He's been patient. He's been patient. He's sent Noah, a preacher of righteousness. He's building this massive boat so you can ask him lots of silly questions. He's getting lots of wood and he's gathering. He's gathering lots of supplies and he's putting all of these animals in the boat and God's been patient. But then the reality, the horrific reality of the judgment of God is going to come raining down. And at first, by the way, it may not even seem like it's a really big deal. It may not even seem like it's a really big deal. Listen to to what we see in in the rest of Genesis 7. It says this, verse 13. On the very same day, we're going to read through the rest of the chapter. On the very same day, Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah, Noah's wife and three wives, and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast after its kind and all the cattle after their kind and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind and every bird after its kind, all sorts of birds. So they went into the ark to Noah by twos of all flesh in which was the breath of life. Those that entered male and female of all flesh entered as God had commanded them and the Lord closed it behind him. They're all in the ark and God shuts the door, seals them in. Then the flood came upon the earth for 40 days, and the water increased and lifted up the ark so that it rose above the earth. The water prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. Verse 19, the water prevailed more and more upon the earth so that all the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. 
The earth prevailed 15 cubits higher, and the mountains were covered. All flesh that moved on the earth perished. Birds and cattle and beasts and every swarming thing that swarms upon the earth and all mankind of all that was on the dry land and whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life died. Verse 27. Thus he blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the land from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky and they were blotted out from the earth and only Noah was left together with those that were with him in the ark. And the water prevailed upon the earth 150 days. You see, like I said, if you grew up hearing this story, we skip over the judgment piece. There's not a lot mentioned in here, but I really believe that if you start reading through this and you read through it some more and then you read through it again, you begin to understand that there are some terrible things that are going on in the world as judgment is brought. And they may not seem so bad at first. It may not even seem like that big of a deal. But the longer it lasts, the worse it gets. Now some believe, we believe that there may not have ever been rain on the earth before. And all of a sudden it starts raining. And maybe at first it seemed like that was really cool. Maybe your kids went outside and played in the mud that was created as all the rain is falling. But then you know what? The earth begins to shake and that begins to freak some people out a little bit. And scripture tells us that water began to come from below as well. And so what was going on is it's raining from above, it's water poured in from below, so what maybe seemed so harmless at first all of a sudden became a really big deal because the water didn't go away. You see, you think that sooner or later the water's going to go away. Sooner or later it's going to subside, and you're like, this would be really great, we'd like the sun to come back out, and we would like to just move on with our life. But it's not so. As judgment was poured out in Genesis chapter 7, there is a horrific piece to this that we skip over. People long and they wait and they may want to skip over, but the reality is there and it is very clear. And I want you to just maybe use your imagination for just a moment from two different perspectives. One is take the perspective of just somebody still in the world, not knowing his family in the ark, the door is shut. But how about maybe somebody in the world that, that maybe it gets worse and all of a sudden you begin to get really concerned. It was really cool for a few minutes when your kids were playing in the mud, but now it's getting worse for you. And the water begins to rise and all of a sudden you can't stay in your house anymore. And the few possessions that you may have are completely wiped out and the water continues to rise. Now all of a sudden you're standing in water that goes from being knee deep to waist deep to being chest deep and there's nothing you can do about it other than try to climb to the top of the roof or maybe start climbing the hill. But the reality of it is, it doesn't go away, and it doesn't matter where you turn, it doesn't matter what kind of raft boat that you may try to make in the last dire moments of your life as you're watching it basically pass before your eyes, there's no escaping the waters that continue to rise. And it's, it's very probable that the elderly were the ones that died first. I mean, you know, the people that were like seven, eight, nine hundred years old, not the people that were 100 or 200 or 300 years old. But it's very likely that it was the elderly that began, began to die first because they couldn't get high enough. Maybe they couldn't climb to the higher parts of the mountain. And friends, it became, it became this piece where it was every man for himself trying to survive and tried to escape the judgment that came as the waters rose in Genesis chapter 7. In desperation, they were trying to save themselves. In desperation, they would probably try to create some life raft. In desperation, they would climb as high as they could into the mountains. You find in Genesis chapter 8, we're not going to get there today, but you find in Genesis chapter 8 that the boat came to rest, the ark came to rest on top of Mount Ararat. And what you find in, in that mountain range, the, 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 the elevation is like 17,000 feet. And what the scriptures are telling us is that the water rose so far above that, which means the water was three miles deep. 
It didn't matter how far you climbed. You could have gotten to the top of the mountain. 17,000 feet you could have climbed. And there's a point. There's nowhere else to go because the water kept rising. You were helpless and you were hopeless and you could not save yourself. And if that's not a picture of our spiritual life, friends, I'm not sure what is. The second piece to this, and maybe using your imagination a little bit, is how about Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives? And God says, get in the ark. And they go. And they wait for seven days. And the door shuts. In darkness, they sit. It's a wooden boat. You probably want to be pretty careful with the fire even though there's going to be a lot of water around you. But the door shuts. May not seem like a really big deal at first because it took a little while before the boat actually started floating on the surface of the water and wasn't just resting on land anymore. You may have been hearing as the rains came down, as the song tells us, and the floods came up. You may have even felt the earth shake as it was shaking and water was springing from beneath the earth. But there came a point where all of a sudden that boat starts to float. And it didn't have to be very deep, by the way. Didn't, the water didn't have to be very deep for it to start floating. But what you also see, if, if you can use your imagination in this, and I know some people may not want you to, but friends, the horrific reality of the judgment of God is that you've got to see what's coming. You've got to see what's coming. And, and in that, I j- just picture for a moment being inside the ark, and yeah, you're safe. Yeah, you've been obedient to God and you've walked with God and you're okay right there at that moment. But you know what? There are a lot of people who are outside who are not okay. I believe one of the reasons that God was the one that shut the ark is because it meant that Noah couldn't open it because I know in all of our human compassion and love, if we heard what was going on in the world outside, what would we do? We would open the door. But friends, the patience of God had run out in the boat. The door shut And Noah and his family are in the ark and they are listening as people are wailing, as they are screaming, as they are weeping and and drowning to death. Because that's what's happening. Please Please don't gloss over these verses of Scripture where it says that God blotted out every thing that had breath except what was on the ark because that is a really significant piece of the judgment of God in this. And you've got to understand that, that families have, have gone and they've climbed as high as they can climb and they've tied together as much of their belongings as they could and they're floating on the water as long as they possibly can. But sooner or later, the food runs out. Sooner or later, the raft breaks apart. Sooner or later, they can't climb high enough. And Noah's on the outside and he's listening to what's going on. He's he's hearing what's going on out there. There's not one thing he can do about it anymore. He was a preacher of righteousness. Scripture tells us that. He proclaimed what was going to happen. He proclaimed God. He preached God. He proclaimed judgment. He told the people. He warned the people. And now all he could do was sit and listen. Sit in the darkness and listen as people around him were screaming and drowning to death. And yes, I even believe there was probably a point where he kept hearing this. Let me in! Let me in! Don't skip over and just say God wiped them out. Yes, that happened. But they had to listen to the cries of the people as they went through God's judgment. As God wiped them out. You see, there's another judgment that's to come. What you see in Genesis chapter 7 is a judgment that's to come later. So I want to paint just a little picture. Hebrews chapter 9, and we're going to turn there in a few minutes. Don't go there now. But it says that it is appointed to man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. Everybody's going to die, and then we're going to face the judgment. Now, some people think, well, that's not really that big of a deal. I beg to differ. 
I beg to differ. I was reading this week in, the, in 1 Thessalonians where Paul is kind of writing this picture and he talks about how there becomes this reality in that judgment that you are separated from God for eternity. There's no hope, there's no help. You are forever away from God. Forever away from His goodness. Forever away from His grace. Forever away from His love. There's a point when that judgment comes where it is too late. Scripture says it is appointed to man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. I want to show you in two different places of Scripture a little bit, just a little glimpse of the picture that Jesus was painting of what's to come. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to to, uh, Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9 is the first place, and he just uses, I just want you to catch a little bit of the language. You see, there is a horrific reality of the judgment of God. You see it in Genesis chapter 7, but we're also going to see it at the end of time when this other judgment shows up. When this other judgment comes, it's not pretty, it's not pleasant, and a lot of us don't want to talk about it. But Jesus just gives us that little glimpse of what it's going to be, and it's so much worse than even words can describe. But he says this in in Mark chapter 9, Uh, beginning in verse 42. I just want you to pick up on a couple of these little pieces that he says. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble, it would be better for him if with a heavy millstone hung around his neck he had been cast into the sea. Verse 43, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than having your two hands to go into hell into the unquenchable fire where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. I know that, that, to many people, that doesn't seem like a really big deal. But, but really understand the depth of what he was talking about in this. He says, it would be better for you in this life to chop off your hand. Does, it, does that sound good to anybody? Does, does that at all sound like something you want to do to just take and just cut it off? But, but Jesus is saying it would be better for you to cut this off than for you to go into what is the unquenchable fire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. All I want you to see here is a little glimpse of the picture that Jesus is painting for us of what's to come in eternal judgment. Unquenchable fire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Goes on more. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than having your two feet to be cast into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. There's no relief. There's no relief from this final judgment. Genesis chapter 7, guess what? Except for those in the ark, There was no relief. There was no reprieve. There was no, let me stop and catch my breath. I'm tired of swimming. There was no, I wish the rain would stop. There was no, I wish the uh, the waters would stop rising. There was no relief. And that's part of the picture that Jesus is painting in Mark chapter 9. The worm does not die and the fire is not quenched for if your eye causes you to stumble throw it out it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be cast into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched go to Luke chapter 16 real quick Beginning in verse 19, I'll just read this and make a comment. Now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. Sounds a lot like us. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores, and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. Again, 
Not preaching the text in this particular context, but I want you to see the picture of what Jesus sort of lets us into of the horrific reality of the judgment of God. And it is true, and it is right, and we deserve it, by the way. But he's saying the rich man is going, just, just a drop, just, just a drop, just, just, just a little bit. Let me, let me just have just a drop to, to just cool my tongue, just, just, just something. Give me something. And Abraham, goes, or Abraham responds, he says, Child, remember that during your life you received good things and likewise Lazarus bad things, but now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great chasm fixed, so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and that none may cross from, he, from, over, from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, here's, here's the plea, I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them, so they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. Please send someone. Please send someone. Warn my family. Warn my family. Send someone. And Abraham, there's no, there's no hope in that. If they don't believe Moses and the prophets, then even if someone rises from the dead, they're not going to believe. That unquenchable place of God's judgment is real. So I want you to see the last part of this. And it's in this that you see the grace of God in judgment. You see, there was the patience of God, and then there's that horrific reality of the judgment of God, but, but then you get to the grace of God. You see, and the grace of God is seen in the ark. Because it's, it's those who were in the ark, the eight people who were in the ark, all of the animals who were in the ark, they're the ones who are experiencing and living in the grace of God and who have no fear. Yes, there was, they had to go through the judgment, but they had no fear in that judgment for they were safe in the ark. And friends, the ark is that picture of Jesus for us. It's that picture of Jesus for us. You see, the story of Noah is so much more than just this, this really neat guy who decided to build a boat. The story of Noah is more than a remarkable guy with a remarkable family who built a remarkable boat. It's more than that. The story of Noah is a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And friends, those who are found in Christ will escape. They will make it safely through the judgment that's to come. But those who are not in Christ, those who have not believed on him, those who have not put their faith and trust in him, they will face the judgment. They will face it on their own and try to get through it on their own, just like all the people who were outside the ark, as they tried to tie together all their things, as they tried to climb the highest mountain in their own effort, in their own energy, in their own wisdom, in their own strength. They tried to make it through the judgment of God, and it did not happen. And if you are outside of Christ, if you are not in the ark that is Jesus. Friends, there's nothing that can save you. There's nothing that will help you escape the judgment. You're on your own. You're on your own. So the grace of God is seen in that the ark is representing Jesus in our life. First Peter, if you turn there, two places I'll have us go. First Peter chapter three. We were I quoted Second Peter chapter three, but in First Peter he paints a little bit of this in what I'm talking about for those who are in Christ. And 
And let me read beginning in verse 18 of 1 Peter. It says this, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. That's a beautiful verse of Scripture, by the way, one that you should really think about committing to memory, that Christ died for sins once and for all, the just for the unjust, to bring you, to bring you to God. It doesn't get any sweeter than that, by the way. You don't get there on your own. You're not good enough. You're not right enough. You're not rich enough. None of those things matter. What matters is did Jesus, because you have faith in him, did he bring you into a relationship with the Father? Because you're not getting there any other way. Christ died for sins once and for all, the just for the unjust, to bring you to God. He goes on. Skip down with me into verse 20. He says, uh, Who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. You see what's... See what's he's, he's, going, he's pointing back and he's talking about the ark, but now he's going he's gonna to bring it into our life. He's going to bring it into where we are today in this world. And he says, um, In which... That is, eight persons were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Don't jump, don't jump too quickly there. Not the removal of dirt on the flesh, meaning not what we do back here in the baptistry, the baptismal pool. It's not that. It's not the act of baptism in terms of being into the water and being raised to walk in the newness of life. No, the baptism that Peter is talking about is not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers have been subjected to him. He says, therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also. He's talking about those that are going to suffer. But the picture that he's painting for all of us in this is it's the baptism of the reality of being in Christ. Are you in Christ? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone for your salvation? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ that He will bring you through the judgment? Have you done that in your life? Is it with the mind and the heart and the will that you have made that decision? For some people, it's just an intellectual truth that they know. Even for some people, it's a response in the heart. But is it all three going together? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. You see, that's the grace of God. That's the grace of God seen in this judgment, is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe, Noah, that you get in that ark and it's going to take you safely through this. Believe. So there's two truths that we take away in this. Two truths, one for the believer, one for the unbeliever. For the believer, it's this. You know people who don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. If you don't know people that don't have a relationship, then you need to begin finding people. Because, friends, their destiny is the judgment. It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. You know people who need to hear the message of Jesus Christ. And you need to be a mouthpiece to them. At the bottom of your outline, there's three numbers, one, two, and three. For those of you who are believers in this room, I want you to write down three names of people who you know who don't know Jesus. And I want you to commit to praying for those people to asking God, not just praying for them, because let's face it, a lot of times we put it on them, but to ask God to give you the boldness, to give you the words and the clarity to speak truth into their life if you haven't already done so. If you already have, maybe you're asking God for another opportunity. But I'm asking you as a believer, if you really believe what Genesis 6 and 7 is teaching us, there's a judgment that's to come, and we need to be God's mouthpiece in proclaiming righteousness. So I'm asking you, write down three names. The other thing for believers, friends, I, this should move you. 
to a whole new place in your relationship with God. The depth of gratitude in your heart for what Jesus has accomplished in your life. Wow. As we were singing that, that song, Happy Day. I mean, I know it seems almost like, hey, but listen to the words. When he washed my sins away. What a glorious day. What a glorious name. And you've saved me. Wow. That's a big deal. In the depth of gratitude, when you understand what Jesus has accomplished for you. Wow. Wow. For the unbeliever, this message is not intended to scare you, but this message is true. And it says this in Hebrews 9, 27, And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment, so Christ. You see, the beauty of it for you as an unbeliever is that it, you're here, and the patience, is, patience of God is still falling on you. And he's, it, yes, it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment, but it's beautiful because you're going to see, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, yours. Yours and mine. For those and everyone who would believe and call upon his name, Scripture says that he takes your sins on his very shoulders. And he bore the weight, and he bore the penalty of them. So for the unbeliever, I say, don't get so discouraged in this that you're angry at God, but be encouraged in this, and that God has provided the ark of Jesus Christ to take away your sins. And it's a beautiful truth, and one that you can embrace and hold on to, not one for you to be discouraged and angry with God. For it is appointed to man to die once, and then comes the judgment, so that Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation with reference to sin to those who eagerly wait upon him. And that's the beauty for all of us. And for the unbeliever in this room, here's my challenge. I don't know where you stand but you've probably got a thousand and one reasons that you don't want to come to a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You probably, in your mind, you think you can get there on your own. You think you're, you're good enough or you're right enough or you've followed the Ten Commandments or you've given enough money to local charities or whatever you're reading. You've got a thousand and one reasons and then you've got a thousand and one questions that, that keep you from coming to God. Like, how can God allow certain things to happen in the world? How can bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people? How does God allow that? And you've got all these questions that are keeping you from coming to a relationship with God through Jesus. And, and here's my answer to you. Stop letting those questions keep you from a relationship with God because there's not anybody in this room who has all the answers to all of your questions. Scripture, the Word of God tells us, He says that His ways are not our ways, His thoughts are not our thoughts. And we can't answer all of your questions. But my plea with you is stop letting those questions keep you from putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and having a personal relationship with God. Stop letting it happen. Scripture is just very clear. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You will be saved. So I'm going to ask if you would to bow your heads and to close your eyes. Everybody in this room, just bow your heads and close your eyes and I just want to give an opportunity for you to respond today. So um, just in this moment, I'm going to ask for those of us who are believers in this room, if you know of people, if you wrote down names, one, two, and three on your piece of paper, and you, you have people on your heart that, that are lost, I just want you to slip your hand up. Just slip your hand up and say, I know it's my coworker, it's my mom, it's my dad, it's my brother, it's my sister. Just slip your hand up and say, I know, I know somebody. We want to we be praying for you as you go through this. As you're asking God to move in their life and asking God to give you the boldness. So we're praying for you. Thank you, all those that raised your hand. And I'm going to say a word of prayer over you real quick. Father, we, we do ask for those that raised their hands in that moment. Lord, their hearts hurt for those they love. God, they, they want to see them come to know you through Jesus. So, Father, I pray that you would give them boldness. God, help them to be proclaimers of righteousness. 
help them to tell the beautiful story of Jesus in the lives of those that they love and the lives of those they work with, of those they may come in contact with. God, give them, give them boldness. Now, for those of you in this room who are, who are not believers, I want to give you the chance just to say, today's the day I want to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to lead you in a really simple prayer. Not, not this, the words of this prayer are not what saves you. It's the faith behind the prayer. It's faith. Faith in Jesus. But you just, you just cry out to God in this moment. If you don't have a relationship with God, but you want to have a relationship with God through Jesus, just say these, say these words. Father, I confess to you that I'm a sinner. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, that he was buried in the grave, and that he rose again. I'll say that again. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, was buried in the grave, and rose again. And I'm asking you to give me life today. I believe in Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. I just want you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. And if, if you today prayed that prayer for the first time, I'm just going to ask if you would to slip your hand up. If you prayed that prayer for the first time today, just slip your hand up. Anybody slip their hand up. Today's the day, the first day, that you want to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody? Thank you, thank you. Father, we love you. God, you're so gracious and kind. You're patient with us. Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. God, give us as a church, as your people, give us boldness to go and preach truth, to stand for truth, and to stand for what's right. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm asking if you would to stand with me. If you raise your hand to, to place your faith in Jesus Christ for the first time, and I'm just going to ask you if you would to be bold and to come forward this morning, talk with Josh and I. Maybe you need to grab the hand of somebody sitting with you and bring them down front with you. We understand. Every, every one of us probably in this room has gone through that at one time or another. We were a little scared to come down front, and somebody came down front with us, and we're just going to ask you to do that. For the rest of us, we're, we're singing a song that's just, I have decided, you know the song, to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. And I just, I'm just going to put it out there that you would just spend this time, you can sing, or just spend this time praying for those three names maybe that you wrote on your piece of paper. Praise team will lead us. Feel free to join in.